Support for Best of Belfast comes from listeners just like me who love Northern Ireland and believe we have a better story to tell. Massive thanks to all of you listening who have already joined the Producers Club, especially our Titanic producers, Barclays Eagle Labs, Ulster University, Young Enterprise Northern Ireland, Gavin Wall, Peter Dixon and of course the Ormobiles team. To find out more about how you can support independent ad-free media, get invitations to live podcasts and submit questions to our guests, please visit bestofbelfast.org. Thanks so much and we really hope you enjoy today's show. Well, folks, what is the crack? Welcome to episode number 50 of Best of Belfast. They say time flies when you're having fun, and it certainly flies whenever you're chatting to the incredible people we've had the chance to so far. i just right off the bat like to say thank you. Thank you very much for listening along the way. Thanks to all of our incredible guests we've had so far. And, you know, we thought we'd do maybe something a little bit special for our 50th. First things first, we're going to do a live podcast with Andrew Trimble for everyone who's a part of our Producers Club. 31st of May, you can check your emails for more information about that if you are indeed a supporter of the show. The second thing is in regards to this episode and indeed the next few episodes. Last week, Jackie and I were out in New York for a wee holiday, catch up with some friends. Um, If you guys have been listening for a while, you know that's where we met. We lived there for three years. And while I was over, I had the opportunity to interview a few incredible Northern Irish folk who are living life over there. Northern Irish folk like Newry born and bred Pauline Turley, who, after winning the green card lottery, had the chance to emigrate to the States in 1997. Since then, Pauline has been on a roller coaster journey that's included pulling pints in bars frequented by famous Irish actors, getting married to an American fella, and developing the Irish Arts Centre into what it is today. So, Irish Arts Centre, what is it? Founded in 1972, the Irish Arts Centre is a multidisciplinary organisation dedicated to promoting a dynamic image of Ireland and Irish America of the 21st century. They do this in a whole bunch of different ways. You've got art, you've got music, you've got language lessons. I need a language lesson. The centre itself is really unbelievable. It's got such a great cosy vibe to it. It kind of feels like a lot of places do back home in Belfast, but... In October 2018, the Irish Arts Centre broke ground on the first phase of a new $60 million building project. Yes, $60 million. Pauline gave me a somewhat of a tour via a little tiny architectural model. I'll put a photo of it up on the webpage for today's episode. And we were standing on the rooftop looking down and seeing it being built. And it is going to be like properly class so really really interesting pauline is equally as interesting we cover a whole range of topics how she ended up going to the states what life has been like promoting ireland while not living in ireland and indeed her role in the irish arts center pauline is an absolute powerhouse and i had an absolute blast sitting down with her to hear her story and i know that you will too Hi, my name is Pauline Turley from uh, Savile in County Down, uh, currently living in New York City with the Irish Arts Centre, and you are listening to The Best of Belfast. All right, guys, what's the crack? My name is Matthew Thompson, and welcome to Best of Belfast, the podcast that celebrates our wee country, Northern Ireland. Each episode gives you the opportunity to get to know and learn from some of the incredible people who call this place home through our unfiltered conversations. The show is brought to you from our recording studio in Ormo Bass Barclay Eagle Labs, a co-working space right here in the heart of the city centre. Support for Best of Belfast comes from our Producers Club, where listeners just like you pledge as little as £1 a month 
in exchange for exclusive perks, invitations to live podcasts, some Northern Irish swag, and much, much more. Massive, massive thank you to all of you who are part of that, especially our Titanic producers, Town Square Cafe, Gavin Wall, Ali Hart, Young Enterprise Northern Ireland, and of course, the Omobas team. We could not do this show without our producers, and thanks to your support, we can keep it running and allowed to stay ad-free. So, really appreciate you. To find out more about the great work these guys do, and support us on our journey to 100 interviews, please visit bestofbelfast.org. Okay, that's it for me. Time to jump straight into today's conversation with this week's local legend. Our good friends and they came to stay with me and my husband for Easter and with the Easter eggs I just broke <laughs> I just broke there was no way not to eat it was a menstrual Easter egg like sure. you couldn't are you a Cadbury's or a dairy milk woman I would say a Cadbury's whole nut yeah definitely salt and vinegar over cheese and onion no question about mm. it um but maybe galaxy I do love a bit of an, a galaxy Easter egg just put me over it's the good, edge like yeah it's not the same here what do they call here dove Dove, or they have Cadbury's over here, but it's not, it's not the, the milk is so different. Mm-hmm. And the dairy industry over here compared to the dairy industry at home would have you off all dairy products. Well, this is the thing. When we lived here, we just couldn't really find chocolate that was anything like home. Yeah. I'm not saying better. I'll be very political and say not the same as back home. Well, you know, <laughs> and the shelf life over here is what's really scary. Yeah. You can have a loaf of bread that lasts a month. You can the have milk? a pint of milk. The milk lasts, that lasts forever. Like two weeks. Yeah. So if you don't really want to drink that milk. So <laughs> it's my poor mother's like, what? You're not drinking milk. You're not. <laughs> she, she'll be horrified. Drinking that horrible green stuff. I'm like, mommy, it's plants. It's what we're supposed to eat. Unbelievable. No. When did you first come to, was it always New York you came to or were you at other parts of the States? So I, when I, um, was my first year in college, a bunch of my mates were coming over to New Jersey, of all places, for the summer on a J1. And we had a wee shop in Newry, so I hadn't really thought about going because I always worked in the shop over the summer. And um, went home and said it to mommy that all my mates were going. and Everyone who's anyone's going uh, to New Jersey, exactly. mom, come on. New Jersey. <laughs> and she just said, actually, why don't you go, pet? So probably the decision she regrets most because that was my J1 summer and I met a lovely young fella from uh, New Jersey. And um, ended up finding love on the Jersey Shore, oh, wow. and it actually was in Seaside Heights, so that place okay. where the where the Jersey so Shore it really was yeah, Jersey Shore. It, <laughs> was, it was the Jersey Shore, and it was eye opening. I mean, it was the first time, like you know, the way we didn't really have intergenerational dating at home sure. beca- for money, particularly because no one yeah, ever yeah, had yeah. actually had any money to yeah, talk yeah, about. Yeah. Like on the boardwalk, this fifty year old man with a tw- really good looking. With a beer belly, the whole Homer Simpson look with a t- really hot 20-year-old yeah. in a bikini. And you're just like, Only in America. oh my God, that <laughs> just would not happen at home, you know. Particularly because we wouldn't be going around in bikinis, it's so Baltic. Sure. But um, so I ended up coming up for a J1 summer and then coming back every summer. And mm. during that time, my sister, um, Sharon, has always wanted to live in America. She, you know, applied for every green card lottery going and... Um, Never got it. And she put my name in once in like 93. She to just, the lottery? To the lottery. I didn't even apply. She put my name in and I got the green card. No, you didn't. The one and only time. What are the chances of that? Because it's, it's You know, mad. I actually don't know. It was through the Northern Ireland um, lottery system. So I had to do my interview in London. So I don't know how many visas. It's probably part of the British allocation. Crazy. But um, 
it was mental. So I sort of, can't, so she was like, if you don't use that, I'll kill you, you know? <laughs> and she's got blonde, I mean, we don't look anything alike. She's got blonde hair, blue eyes, and oh, brunette. No. So if she had looked anything like me, she would have taken identity theft to a whole new sure, level. Yeah. She'd have been gone. She'd have been <laughs> like, uh, I'd have gone to America years before I got here. And um, so I basically came over after college to prove that I wouldn't like it and then I wouldn't feel guilty, you know, because I'm sort of naively, I thought if I didn't use my green card, then somebody else might, if I give it back, I'd be giving somebody else a chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I found the Irish Arts Centre literally a couple of months after I got here and I've pretty much been with the Irish Arts Centre for the last 22 years. Unbelievable. And how did you actually find it? So it's kind of (laughs) funny, like my interns now sort of, you know, they become wide-eyed at the concept. You know, in 1997, there really was no, I mean, there was email, you had to go to an internet cafe to find email. But um, I bought a newspaper yeah, and uh, I found my apartment by the listings in the back of the newspaper. And I mean, that's a whole other dodgy story. The actual address, <laughs> I was just watching The Godfather uh, a couple of weeks ago and the actual address is like quoted as, you know, it's uh, 305 West. Is it 305? Now I'm forgetting. 309 West 43rd Street, which is only a block from Port Authority, which was very dodgy sure. back in the 90s. And um then I found the Irish Art Centre because I've looked up the phone book, these bricks of phone books that used to land on everybody's doorstep. Not the yellow pages, but a different one. Yeah, it's the white pages <laughs> okay. over here. I guess there's the white and the yellow pages at home. Here, too, the yellow right? pages had its last ever paper issue like six months ago. Yeah, I mean, it's not really surprising. No, it's not surprising. I know. <laughs> yeah. But the, so I looked up the white pages over here and I looked up Irish and I found the Irish Repertory Theatre, who are great pals, um, who are down on 23rd Street, and Irish Guide Dogs for the Blind. There you go. And the Irish Arts Centre. And I had moved into Hell's Kitchen, so I was literally only, you know, 15 blocks from here. So uh, I took a stroll to find the Irish Arts Centre. And um, I had studied, actually, drama in college great. at Trinity. And... Um, I always thank God, I like to say, I was never cursed with the desire to perform. I'm a terrible liar, so I just would be awful on stage. But I love, exactly, <laughs> but I love theatre. And it was kind of a passion. One of my teachers, Brenda Rankin in The Sacred Heart in Newry, really got me into, behind, you know, the drama behind the scenes. And I love producing. I loved watching the magic happen. But I had kind of no patience for the acting either, just standing at the sidelines waiting for a line. I mean, I had to do it as part of the course, but I'd be like up the ladder trying to help the lighting, you know, team or, you know, kind of fascinated by the whole how it all came together rather than the acting side. And, you know, took had to do directing and stuff as part of my my thesis, but really enjoyed the producing side more than anything else. So um, when I came to the Art Centre, I basically said, you know, I'd love to volunteer my time. And um, they were like, "Great, start tomorrow." <laughs> and uh, <laughs> any I d- good nonprofit would exactly. So I was here for about three months in '97. But my my main gig at the time was work. I found this, um, which probably led to most of my happiness in the early part, because <laughs> I think the first year in New York in New York is the hardest. I say that all the time to you know our our interns and stuff who come over from Ireland. Um, that I found a family at the old Flaherty's ale house on 46th street totally kind of flipped my way and was like i'd gone literally to a pub in yuri four <laughs> nights before i moved over to pull a few pints so that i could look someone because i am a terrible liar someone say you know i've been behind a bar before yeah yeah yeah, yeah. literally <laughs> I, you know i pulled a pint or two i pulled a couple of pints oh no i mean literally, <laughs> literally two pints <laughs> exactly and that was kind of true but it was funny i walked in and there was this lovely american woman and i said um 
I just moved into, you know, the neighbourhood. Can I, you said, oh, we don't have any positions right now. And I said, well, can I leave my name and number? And then she heard my accent. She said, oh, you're Irish. And I said, yeah, yeah. And she says, well, take a seat there. So about 20 minutes later, <laughs> the infamous Tony O'Flaherty came around the corner. And after about, you know, five minutes of chat, start Thursday. Nice. And he was a Calvin man. There you go. Oh, my God. <laughs> The stories, but we had a real family. Actually, there was a Nelson from Belfast. Lord Reston was behind the bar. And um, Ronan from Tipperary and uh, two of my best mates to this day are the two waitresses, Colleen and Megan, that I worked with. So I found a family through O'Flaherty's. And um, so that kind of paid the bills, which allowed me nice. <laughs> to actually work at the Irish Arts Centre for free. Amazing. Uh, and then that was, that was 97. And then actually Nye Heron, who had been my predecessor, had been running the Art Centre for about 25 years. And he had basically brought Jim Sheridan over in the 80s. And Jim had really transformed the theatre. Um, it, it started, the Art Centre's been here in Hell's Kitchen since the early 70s. And, you know, it really was, um, you know, we kind of forget nowadays Irish music is in every bar and you know it's been so you know it's almost popular culture but back in the early 70s it really wasn't you had to seek it out so the art center was a very valuable place i mean we were the first people to bring the chieftains to new york Crazy. in like 72 which seems mental so in the early days it was very much community you know you'd take an hour you had to teach uh, Irish class or, you know, in order to take a fiddle class. It was, <laughs> you know, it was called the Irish Rebel Theatre. <clears throat> and obviously it was a very political time at home. Um, so it was kind of in a, a place for people to come back together and, you know, talk about what was happening and, um, you know, in a, a kind of an outlet for the tensions at home. And then around the, you know, Jim was the artistic director for seven or eight years. And then Terry George, who's a great pal. Um, I don't know if you know Terry, but um, he wrote and directed Hotel Rwanda. But he's a Belfast man. I did not know that. Yeah. And he did my left. He did um, In the Name of the Father with Jim. Actually, he tells a story that uh, Jim Sheridan came to him and said, um, you know, Terry, I'm going off to make a, a film about um, actually it would be in Jim's Dublin actually, you know, <laughs> make a film about a, par- a paraplegic drunk. And Terry was like, yeah, good luck with that, Jim, <laughs> which obviously became my left foot. And um, But Terry then was the artistic director uh, for a number of years and um, obviously went on to, to great things. But he, you know, he tells a funny story. Someone said about like, what would a fella from Belfast know about ro- warring, you know, fractions in Rwanda? <laughs> he was like, I'm from Belfast. I know about tribes. You know? So this is funny because I was having breakfast this morning with an old friend. His name's Fred. Uh, he's about 80. 80- 80-ish, we'll say 80, hope he never listened to this in case I've really overshot that. But we met in Rwanda and I went to Rwanda when I was 18. I was there for uh, three months and he was like, oh, you'll have to look me up when you come to New York. And so I looked him up and it made him have been pals ever since. So I was really great to see him again. But we were talking about Rwanda. We were talking about, you know, forgiveness and we were talking about division. And then we were just doing that kind of comparative piece of actually it was strange being Northern Irish and going to Rwanda and seeing what you could learn from that and all this sort of stuff. So it now makes perfect sense that Hotel Rwanda was written by who it was. And I actually I'm surprised I never knew that. So thank you. Yeah. Really I mean, good. he's a terrific guy. Terry, we sh- you should get him to, to do yeah, the podcast. Class. Um, he was just here last week for we we did a special event with um, Liam and Wainley, um for a kind of spring concert for all the top funders of the new capital project that we're doing. And Terry's just one of the most decent Crazy. guys. So how old were you whenever you were pulling pints and flaggerties? So I came over when I was about 24, 97. So, yeah, 24. 23, nice. 24. And I actually was waitressing and bar- I was waitressing like six days a week and then bartending. And then I'd work here 
a couple of mornings and I nannied as well. So I literally didn't have any time to do anything else, which was good because, you know, it's kind of lonely place, New York. I mean, it's so busy, but I really didn't have time. I worked mostly nights, so I didn't have to sit home and um, wonder what, what, you know, where all my friends were Uh, (laughs) because of course I was only coming over for six months. That was the plan to prove that I didn't like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I actually was making, you know, I'd put myself through, you know, college, so I had a bunch of student loans and mm-hmm. stuff. So I sort of unfortunately, like, you can't just run away from that. Sure, yeah. You can. <laughs> so although my brother was like, "What? You paid back your student loans? Are you mental?" Um, that was uh, twenty years ago when they just sort of started coming out twenty five years ago. But um, so I was, you know, making really good, mo- making more money than I'd ever oh, yeah. made in my life yeah. from my early days uh, plucking mushrooms at seven there to my go. potato picking and babysitting and every everything else that I'd done in between. Um, so it was like real money for a 24 year old so I was able to you know save some money so I said you know what I'll give it a year there's no point walking away from a good paying gig and at that time I was actually I'd applied for a master's in Trinity and been accepted so I I decided to defer it for a year and um, and then I got a call one day from Nye who was running the place here and he said you know we want to offer you full-time work are you available and how little can you do it for? <laughs> <laughs> Name which, your lowest price. <laughs> exactly, which, you know, I was such a fool. I mean, I came in and met him for coffee and we went for coffee and he forgot his wallet. So I was like, okay, this that should have told me everything I needed to know about working in the arts. So I, I uh, kept on my lucrative waitressing career on the weekends and Good. then started here. And then Nye was doing, um, Jim Sheridan was doing The Boxer. And he asked Nye to go to Ireland to be a second unit director. So after two weeks, <laughs> training is a very loose word, two weeks of being here on the job, Nye went to Ireland and basically said, only call me if it's an emergency. <laughs> so I was like, okay. And, you know, it's so funny. Back then we had like this one little Mac computer, you know, the one with the tiny, tiny screen. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it really, and in fairness, you know, the art center had been run by, you know, great artistic people for a long time which doesn't always mean that you know the finances and stuff were yeah the best of sure shape. so um now left and then um basically never really came back <laughs> I, I would be like can you come in like he'd come by and you know i was like i need a few checks signed but um and i was like i think you need to put me on the account yeah 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 so like shortly thereafter he put me on the bank accounts and uh then i was like um, <laughs> you coming in? You know, not not this week. Okay, so we had a play. There was a play happening. I just had to kind of keep the head down, and Amazing. people were like, "Yeah, we're renting the theater and it's no such." And it just sort of took off from there. Wow. And uh, I've been here ever since. Wow! But it, at the time, it was just me and a part time person, and now we have you know fifteen full time staff, not yeah. including front of house and, and a um, lot more going on that we'll talk about yeah in, in a wee bit so but it's so much fun it's like i don't have to do that anymore <laughs> i don't have to do that more i don't have to look at the all these people <laughs> <laughs> the glamorous life of uh, of uh of theater amazing so we'll get the first official question out of the way uh even though it always comes like halfway through the interview nowadays and the, you already know it because uh you we were joking about it before but how do you introduce yourself if you walk into an elevator and Liam Neeson's there? I'm looking all around this room. There's like Liam Neeson all over this room. <laughs> <laughs> well, Liam has been a, a a big pal of the organization. I think I first met Liam in 2000. And um, actually, uh, Gabriel Byrne is our other honorary chair. The two, Liam and Gabriel are honorary chair. So it was Gabriel invited Liam as a guest to one of our galas in 2001, right after September 11th. So it was a very emotional time for New York and... Um, 
actually it was Liam's idea. He had just come from, maybe it wasn't that first gala, but the next gala he offered to auction himself off for dinner <laughs> to raise money. So, um, which was mental. Great ball, uh, man. So, so many great stories of Liam, Neeson and Gabriel Byrne in minibuses and uh, just <laughs> The Swift bus, which is, if you've lived downtown, um, Danny McDonald and Mike Jewell have uh, the Swift bus, which used to go between some of their bars. So anyway, they, they had bid on the on the event. So we went bar hopping. But so pretty much since then, um, Liam and Gabriel have done two to three events for us every year, <clears throat> which is really why we'll get more to the big picture in a second, why we are where we are on the new capital project. So if I walked into an elevator, um, I'd probably <laughs> be like, you're still okay for, um, sorry, Don't my worry. phone. I'd be like, you're still okay for whatever, uh, June 18th, right? Um, or how, how he's got two fabulous boys, so or asking him about the boys. Um, and um, yeah, so that, that would probably be it. But sort of, are you okay for that date? Um, how, how's the family? <laughs> class, class. And what is your current position and we've talked a lot about how you actually got here but what is your kind of day-to-day operating job do yeah so i'm the vice chair of the organization have been for the last 10 gosh uh 10 11 years um which uh is i said just on sneaks the board, up on you doesn't it it just does <laughs> it really does um actually yeah i was 20 years full-time here last year and they had a big you know kind of surprise party and the biggest surprise was how many people were in the room wow. <laughs> like, this, is, <laughs> this is a surprise um so but i'm basically in charge of our development and growth operations so um we do thanks to Liam and gabriel we host a big annual gala every year and um you know that's a big source of our revenue so Brilliant. i'm on the revenue generating side so um like last year um we had uh, Johnny McDade, who's a good dairy man, and uh, the lovely Courtney Cox, where um, Johnny was our guest of honour. And, uh, you know, we raised 1.7 million. That's insane. Which was mental. I remember our first dinner dance that we did um, in Queens, and we raised 70,000, and it was the most money I've yeah, ever seen sure. in my entire life. You guys were freaking and, out. You know, just because of the new building project, which I guess we we'll, can talk about in a sec. You know, obviously we're trying to grow for the future. Yeah. So um, I organize our galas and and small events and donor kind of donor servicing. Brilliant. Um, is really what uh, I get to spend my time taking care of. Yeah. Really wonderful, amazing, generous people. Amazing. I mean, that's the most amazing thing about being in New York, just the generosity of spirit. And the generosity of people with their resources. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's a lot more wealth to go around. But um, you, we generally only get the best of the best here. But when you work for any charity, people yeah. who are, you know, literally putting their money where their passions are mm-hmm. um, means that you're meeting kind of the best kind of people. It's class. So it's really fulfilling and uh, we love it. So we do events from anything from, you know, our show you love, which is our young leaders, our 20, 30, 30-year-olds. 30 um parties to um you know membership recruitment which starts at like 75 right up to the the big gala and then you know we do a lot of we do 150 nights of programming so it's basically about incredible s- servicing those donors too yeah, and just, yeah. you know offering tickets and taking care of you know they're, yeah, they yeah. want to send their daughter but just making people feel that you know they're making a difference and making people connecting people to mm. our programs you know for me it's not about raising money it's about connecting really amazing people to really amazing artists and everybody benefits everybody sure. wins and you know the 
we had a sneaky peek at the theatre before getting to see someone play. We just had David Keenan. I don't know if you've come across David, a young fella from Dundalk who's really on the rise or, you know, we, it's the last place that Ronnie Drew played in America. Um, Camilo Sullivan or, you know, it's just Martin Hayes on the fiddle in there. It's just this tiny little room. You feel like mm. you're in somebody's front room. So it's really beneficial. You know, we, you know, are able to bring over like the best artists from Ireland. Yeah. We work very closely with Culture Ireland and, um, you know, they fund a lot of the flights and accommodation, which makes it so much easier for us right. to work with incredible artists on the ground in Ireland. And then it gives a real authentic experience for everybody in the room. Yep. And it also, you know, we have so many of our audiences who've never heard of someone. And um, actually we did a series with Bill Whelan um, we do a series with Bill Whelan and uh, Bill Whelan Presents. And last year he brought over this amazing young fellow, Seamus O'Flaherty from, um, from Connemara. And he started playing the harp. And I almost, and I'm not, you know, um, theatre's my background. I'm not a huge traditional uh, aficionado yeah. at all. And um, it was just so gorgeous. Like it literally stopped everybody in their tracks. And, you know, he was real, <laughs> you know, Asher Jesus, I better throw in a, you know, a Sligo song. Like, the, mother, <laughs> the mother will kill me. And just the sweetest, and it actually turned 20 the night of the, of the gig. Unreal. And, you know, so it's not all about, you know, the high talent that everybody's heard of. Like literally people came out and were like, that's one of the best things I've ever seen. It's class that they wouldn't have had a chance to. And it's, so it's about, you know, really helping artists. And, you know, we can get the New York Times, if we can get the New York Times into review, um, then they have that New York Times review that actually opens doors for them yeah, across, not just in Ireland, but across the whole international touring mm. circuit. So it can be really, really meaningful. And so our audience are like, never heard of them, but I know I trust the curation of yeah, the Art yeah. Centre. And we're very lucky because we have a lot of artistic associates like Bill Whelan and um, the fabulous Paul Muldoon, good arm man. <laughs> Paul does um, a monthly series uh, in the fall and spring, so about six, seven shows a year where it's like anyone from Sam and Rushdie to Liev Shriver came to one that we did recently. Um which I love Ray Donovan. So it was just like my, um, I was him reading Yates was just so phenomenal right through to, um, you know, a clown act or a young emerging, um, artist. Uh, we just had, um, one of the guys from Ash. So, you know, it's a real mixed bag of, of people coming through the doors, but you know, it's for artists. It's kind of, we like to look at it a wee bit as their playground. Yeah. And you know, if it's someone of such high artistic integrity as Paul Muldoon or Bill Whelan, we know that it's going to be magic. Absolutely. Um, Susan McKillen does our song live series. I don't know if you're familiar with Declan O'Rourke, but I mean, I remember hearing Declan and, uh, coming back into the office and Catherine who worked with us at the time, she was just like, I'm so annoyed. And I said, what's wrong? Cause she was so e evenly keeled person. She was a stage manager type. She said, I've just wasted the last three years of my life not listening to that album. <laughs> you know, and none of us had ever heard of Declan. Yeah, and yeah, he's yeah. huge at home and, and in Australia where he'd spent some time. But, you know, now we've programmed Declan five or six times. We actually were just on tour in Chicago with a phenomenal Brilliant. piece that he just did on the Irish famine, which probably might not have happened. And he had John Sheen from the Dublin. I mean, talk about the lineup. It was Killian um, Valley, our man as well. And, you know, um, it was just an incredible lineup, which might not have happened if we hadn't made the investment in yeah. saying that this is important work. It's not commercial work. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And it actually was, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a really amazing show. You think the Irish famine, seriously? I don't want to go and listen to something about that. And it was phenomenal how Jackman curated it and the level of magicianship, awesome. musicianship was just off the charts. Class. Really, really cool. So I want to go back because I've got a couple of, I've got loads of questions swirling around in my head. I just need to get them out. Otherwise, I'll forget them. The first one is, so you moved, you stayed for a year because you wanted, you know, you were making money, things were good. Why did you stay? The Irish Art Centre, yeah. hands down. Because you've just talked, the way you're talking, it's obviously like the love of your life. Yeah. <laughs> Bar your husband. But yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I threw that but in there to try to only, save you, but you didn't yeah. take it. You didn't no, take well, the he's, bit. He's only a recent addition. <laughs> uh, I've just been with my husband five years. So I have to say, I mean, and, and we joke about this, but this has been my baby. Like, all, nice. of course, all my mates at home are married with kids and I don't have kids because I've basically <laughs> yeah, been sure. married to the centre for 20 years. But um, yeah, I mean, and I have to say, you you know, you've been in the building um it was, I have to say, a wee bit of embarrassment that kept me involved. I was like, seriously, this is the Irish Arts Centre. For people who don't know it, I mean, it's a tenement building on 51st Street. If you go down Park Avenue, Asia Society takes up an entire <laughs> block, right? You've got Scandinavian Centre that on Park in 38th. You have Alliance Francaise. There are four massive Jewish museums. And fair enough, we have pubs two and three to a block here which were our cultural homes which don't look so irish anymore yeah um you know they've really upgraded the irish pub doesn't look anything like it did probably 20 30 years ago but like where are we taking our kids to actually you know where are we investing if we had the likes of seamus heaney lord reston coming over we don't have a venue large enough to hold seamus heaney yeah and um i think that's what really drove me it was the commitment and actually gabriel got involved very early on and he was very passionate about that too i mean he's got two kids with Ellen Barkin and he was like his kids I want somewhere that's Irish and cool that my kids want to go to that they want to bring their friends to yeah 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 um, and there's so much talent like we can't be doing and there's so many amazing musicians playing in venues where there's a two drink minimum and they're competing with the clinking of glasses and yeah. you know or in the back of a bar room with half the people don't actually want to yeah, listen yeah, to yeah, the yeah. music this is one of the <clears throat> the best listening rooms in New York City like we've been told, I'm not just saying that that's what the feedback that we're hearing. And um, there's so much talent that it was literally like, oh, Jesus, we have to kind of, you know, and of course, and then I left. So I was sort of like, <laughs> there was needs must, yeah, you know, yeah. at the beginning. But, um, you know, and then I just met so many, I've met so many amazing, incredible artists and people and donors that, you know, who have become my family. Mm. So that's kind of that's why I've stayed for this because you know it really would have taken something special I mean corporate America you know so many times if you you know board members and donors like Pauline you need to come work for me and I'm like no I, <laughs> I wouldn't be doing what I you know if I wasn't I you know I love the Ryan Road and Savile yeah. which is where I'm from just outside Newry where all my family like five of my Go six on. siblings pretty much live on the Ryan Road you stand in my mum and dad's garden you can see the four boys houses that's unreal uh, I'm one of seven and um, my sister went all the way to Glenavy. Can you imagine that? It's <gasps> no, almost as bad not. as it's almost as far as <laughs> my daddy's eyes. It's nearly as bad as New York. All, all the way to Glenavy. What are you not there it, for? <laughs> took her there, but she married a farmer, so there was always knew that she was going to have to go up to Glenavy <laughs> all that way. So I, besides my uh, four niece and nephews in Glenavy, my other fourteen are pretty much on the Ryan Road in, in Savile. Well, one's in Australia now, one's in London, but when they were, they all grew yeah, up there, yeah. so. Mad. So I would have taken something very special to keep me from all the crew at home. Yeah. And this was it, really. And I think, you know, people say, well, why hasn't this happened before? So, you know, the new building project, 
Um, we just last October broke ground on the new state-of-the-art Irish Art Centre. It was a $60 million project for phase one, about another $8 million to go for phase two at this point. And, um, you know, really so that we could have something to be proud of. Mm. And we downstairs, you know, we can't house a lot of the great art that's coming out. This the theatre, you know, it's grand for like a one man show or something, something small, maybe two, three hander. Although they have done under Milkwood with eighteen people. Don't know how they did it with wow. the, <laughs> you've seen the dressing rooms. Um many, many years ago. But uh and dance is very compromised because of the rake of the stage. You can't see people's feet, so that's and there's no room to do any lifts. So the new space definitely will has kind of been modeled on like um, the uh, Peacock at the Abbey stage or the project. So basically any of the touring theater that's coming out of those, you know, really key spaces in, in, in Ireland um, can travel here, which they can't currently do. Yeah, really. yeah, yeah. And, you know, um, they, they go to BAM or, you know, yeah. which we still love them to do. We partner a lot with the Brooklyn Academy of Music and, um, like, you know, whenever they're doing our St. Anne's Warehouse or something yeah. like that, we do a lot of partnerships and marketing partnerships to get the word out. Um, and we ourselves rent bigger spaces. We do a big show at Symphony Space every year, which is an 800-seater, and we'll probably still continue to do that. But to have a physical asset for Ireland... You know, and the Irish government have obviously invested in the project too as well, and they see it very much as a, you know, kind of a little classier than what we have now. Although, don't get me wrong, the the theatre downstairs, which you've been in, is just gorgeous. It's got so much character. And that's kind of, the beautiful thing is we're actually still keeping this theatre as part of the project. Which is kind of, it's great because it allows us to do, to completely blow it open Mm. for the new building, the possibilities we were originally not keeping this theater as part of the project and so we were trying to design a theater to look and feel like the theater that we have which is not what the artists wanted but it's what the audience would want yes, nice comfortable seats yeah. the new space is going to have comfortable seats and um but it's going to be able to be more transformative the seats will all disappear at the touch of a button uh with the telescopic seating and you know just really the space can change every time yeah. which is what contemporary theater makers yeah. want and visual artists and dancers and yeah i'm gonna have to uh, take a wee photo of the model downstairs because it looks unbelievable but just because we were standing on the roof there and just looking down at it and you're like oh my goodness like this is going to be like a proper slice of new york you know what i mean like it really is and you've got the park coming in you've got this beautiful beautiful building i didn't even think downstairs that yeah of course like now loads and loads of like different theater companies and people can come over and now perform in manhattan and even like what you were saying about you can get people in new york times review like imagine as a young up-and-coming artist or actor or actress or whatever and you can be like yeah i performed in manhattan to an audience of x amount of people and even the conference boost i'll give you it'll be unbelievable like yeah no and it really can be life-changing for some or career changing for you know some people to actually you know get taken seriously and oftentimes it's kind of the the jesus narrative you have to be you know (laughs) kind of uh you have to be a celebrity outside of your own before the the, you know the the home team will take that is interesting what do you think about that because something that comes up quite a lot is you know i mainly am talking to uh, people who are living in Northern Ireland have done their whole life. And something that always comes up is that, I've never heard it as the Jesus narrative, but that is a perfect way to say it. You're talking about that Nazareth sort of thing yeah. where they're not, yeah. We always talk about why is it that, because Northern Irish people are great. We obviously love them, but we're also so hard on ourselves and we're also really hard on successful people. You know what I mean? Why do you think whether we have that weird hang up with success? Well, I think it's it's tough because times have been so hard yeah. and it's just hard for people 
in their if their situation is not the way. I uh, see. Uh, I had to situation. say situation. You did I it. Had to get it in. Yes. I was going to try not. It's to only say been what, half an hour, and you finally <laughs> cracked. <laughs> but um, you know, but in their <laughs> situation, um, you know, if if the prospects are not what they might you'd might like them to be that it is hard you know to see other people succeed and i have to say like one of the things that shocked me or really excited me about irish america um you know it's almost like an upgrade of (laughs) irish people you know (laughs) irish 2.0 um you know they really could not have done well like when i came here when i was 24 irish people could not have done enough for me the minute i opened my mouth and heard an irish accent it was unbelievable it was just people could could, they would just bend over backwards Mm. and that just shocked me and there was never an ounce of negativity it was just all and I think maybe it's because you know they had to just stay positive to keep going or maybe it was just the more ambitious gene had to leave Mm -hmm. you know just Mm -hmm. had to go um or they just had to make the best of it and you know certainly when there was a mixed culture i mean in our in ireland we're all irish so i didn't Mm. actually appreciate how irish i was till i came to new york i I didn't consider i was irish really yeah um i mean i was but um obviously in the north it's got different nuances but uh, there was a funny story there's a guy and he was from east belfast and he came over and uh, he emigrated to america and people were saying to him oh you're irish and he was like no 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 i'm british and, and then the, <laughs> they, he wouldn't get the same necessarily warm reception so for his business he said don't tell anybody at home he says but if anybody says are you irish and they're excited about that yeah that's says, so but funny. i wouldn't tell them at home that I'm irish. <laughs> i can, i can relate to that because uh when i moved over i've always just i've always identified as irish you know whatever um i have a friend though and he's like proper proper like union jack okay and he came over and he lasted about two weeks of trying to do i'm northern irish or i'm british before he was just like and then i i was standing there and i saw it happen where someone introduced him to oh where are you from and he's like ireland and i was like yes it happened <laughs> but i have to say like uh even now like you know I, I i moved to new york where was i maybe 2012 or something like that and being irish was like having a superpower yeah uh like the it amount of doors. doors it opened yeah. and the amount of like it was just incredible to the point where now that i've moved uh to northern ireland I almost, I almost miss having that superpower. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's like life's really difficult not being Irish anymore. You know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> it's so true. I mean, I and actually, my my one of my best friends when we the first summer we were here on our J one visa, we travelled across America by train and literally, you know, everywhere we went, we were in the we were on this uh, bus in San Francisco with this big African American guy, and we were trying to we were wondering if we get to the train on time. He was like, "Well, sure as hell, try. I'm Irish too." And I'm like. <laughs> Okay, if you, you know, <laughs> and it's, you know, and that's what I love about the Art Centre too, is because like we do an open day here for St. Patrick's Day, a free day of Irish culture. Yeah. And like all the kids are multicultural, yeah. but they're like Irish Peruvian, they're yeah, African American yeah. Irish, they're Asian Irish, they're, you know, or just, you know, New Yorkers are, just, you know, so fascinated by Irish culture in general. Yeah, yeah. You know, some people are not even Irish, but they're like, I love Irish culture sure. because it's because, you know, we have um, the river, you know, the Merry Man were river dancing on Shrek mm-hmm. 2 or 3, whichever <laughs> version it was. And I was joking with Bill Whelan. I was like, you know, you made it, Bill, when you are in Shrek. You are in Shrek. Oh, and how man. amazing is that? So, you know, I think like the success gene so you know i think people really it was tough when people came over and they know how hard it was and they had to you know thing about new york is you have to work hard Mm. you're not gonna you're not gonna get by the work the work ethic and the work hours of people in new york 
is insane. Yeah. It's insane. I mean, I, I see it here at the Art Centre now. It's lucky because it's something that we love, but yeah. we generally all work. You know, the office opens mm -hmm. nine, nine o'clock in the morning and then the theatre closes at 11 at night yeah. and sometimes you're here all day. And that's something and I that's forgot. that's two, three times a week. I'm an, I'm an early bird. Like, I get up, I'm within walking distance to where my bus. I maybe get up five, which is, you know, whatever. Um, this morning I was on the subway. I think I got on the subway at maybe quarter to six or something like that. And it was, and it was rammed. Yeah. I mean, like you could, you, there was no seats. You were like squashing in, and it was so so full. Mm -hmm. And I'm walking around Belfast for like an hour, and there's like not even a plastic bag floating around. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just a different culture. It's, yeah. It's well, the morning ritual is very important. You know, yeah. I mean, any if you you know read up any successful CEO, they're generally what they do in the morning is what's important. So, so. what do you do? Um, I have to say, well, it was so funny because when you were laughing about my husband too, you know, I was saying the most important thing in my life, which <laughs> my husband's like, obviously me. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Yeah, 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 whatever. whatever. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I have to meditate in the morning. Yeah. I'm a big, I love, I've been meditating pretty consistently, probably on and off for about 20 years since I came to New York, but, Great. you know, really consistently the last five, six years. What does that look like for you? Um, we've, I've tried dabbled in a few different types. Um, we've done, my husband and I both did the basic TM training, which I kind of enjoyed. I've done a Is bit that of transcendental, transcendental meditation. meditation. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, uh, I've never quite gotten into doing the second 20 minutes. You just do 20 minutes twice a day. So generally it's 20 minutes in the morning and you know, every once in a while I'll kind of change it up, Yeah. but it's, it's handy. You know, the transcendental is just you and one word and that's, you know, and it, I know for people. Forgive me, because I I am a deeply curious person, but also there's so much information in my head. I never know which is which. Is transcendental meditation the one where you go an instructor gives you a word, and yeah. this is the word that you will repeat? Yeah. So you've been given this word, which you're not allowed to tell anybody. Is right. that correct? And I was like, but I'm Irish. You had to promise <laughs> that you weren't going to tell anyone. And I was not like, even but, your mother. <laughs> and I was like, but I tell my sister everything. There's no way. And she and she refused to give it to me until I would say that I wouldn't tell anyone. And of course, my husband did it too. And I, I'm, he was like, don't even ask me. I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> don't look at me. <laughs> you know, um, the reason they say that is because it has no meaning. And then if someone else is a different one, you start to question. And then you're sitting saying this word and you're questioning, well, is it the right word? And what does this so word mean? So do you think, is it, do you think it's got nothing to do with the word? Is the word just like a vehicle to, yeah? Yeah, I think okay. they just say the word is just something to focus on. Okay. It's like the sound. You know, some people say listen to the sound of the air conditioning or listen to the sound, you know. And New York's, I mean, that's the amazing. The sound of the that, sirens. Exactly, the sound <laughs> of the sirens. And it's amazing. But it, it's so funny. I've, it's become, like it's it's like getting a shower in the morning for me. I just, yeah. ha I just have to do it. It's great. And if I don't do it, my mother's going to be like rolling her eyes going, oh, Jesus, what you doing talking about meditation? But... <laughs> But um, if I shout out the mum, how are you? Hi, exactly. <laughs> How's it going, teasing Leo? Um, if I don't do it, it's when I don't do it that I really notice it. Mm. Like I'll get to be like two or three, and they slag me in the office here because um, I'm, you know, one of the most positive people that they know. And they're like, Jesus, you know, yeah. And my husband too. He's like, there's, you know, I really, really make it a habit. Because I think it is something that, you know, a skill that you learn to look for the positive in any situation. Yeah. I think it's a skill that you kind of have to work at. And that's the one thing about home that really, you know, I find. And my sister actually did end up getting a visa and coming over for oh, three, four years, which was amazing. And uh, she went home after September 11th. And um, 
the first I remember chatting to her and I said, how's it going? She said, you know, just people are just, it's so negative. Like this one's talking about this one. And did, did you tell it, you know, and I become the vault in our house because everybody knows if they tell me I'm in New York, I'm not going to tell anybody else <laughs> kind of thing. But, you know, and sometimes I'll be the one to say, well, why don't you just ask them? Like yeah. New Yorkers oh, are my so goodness. direct. Yes. Like New Yorkers will just get to the point. Yeah, this is something I learned from being married to Jackie, a German. There's no beating around the bush. It's oh, just it's like, straight up. there it is. Whereas Irish people are the exact opposite mm-hmm. of that. So I think about the negative negativity thing, what she said, she was like the first couple of months back, she was just like, oh my God, there's so much negativity. And then I went back, you know, three months later for Christmas and she was right in the thick of it. <laughs> she was, you know, and she's <laughs> since become way more conscious and she's one of the most positive, amazing, uplifting people I know. Yeah. And but that um, I would argue, just to really interject really, really quickly, I think, so the same way in being Irish in America is like a superpower, I think being confident and positive in ireland is like a superpower right i'll just throw that in there you know and i think it's changing with the generations yeah. too because i mean i remember self-praise is no praise and actually belfast <laughs> people were way more confident than culties like me sure. from south down <laughs> i remember i i was going out with a fella in when i my first year in in trinity and um he was always like yeah the exam went really well it, went, it was brilliant and i was just like these belfast people are really confident and you know I and that was not definitely not a South Down culture superpower at all yeah, confidence yeah. and still you know it still takes me where <laughs> I still have to resist when somebody says oh that's oh god I love your dress for me not to go <laughs> well this wee thing I not, just four pound I mean TJ Maxx thirty nine ninety nine like it literally I I still haven't got oh, over that so good but it's like how can I take what you gave me and just you know minimize it as yeah, much yeah, as possible yeah, yeah. where yeah. Americans are like oh thank you so much yeah 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 I love this dress on me <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, but I do think that you know the next generation coming up are not as down on themselves Aye. as we probably were growing up I mean I certainly see it in my nieces and nephews would be more confident than than um. And, you know, it was a different, it was a much tougher time. I mean, certainly my parents grew up in a very tough time. I mean, their parents were not telling, and, you know, it's the typical Irish parent, I love you, you know. Like, I've always said, I love you, and, oh, good luck, good luck. That would be on the the answer from the other side. And, you know, we've been trying to break my dad down for years. (laughs) I remember my brother got married. It was like, Daddy, just tell me once that you love me. And he's, oh, way on, you've had too much to drink. Way on, (laughs) down the room there. And it was kind of like that scene in Brooklyn with Saoirse Ronan when yeah. she goes up and the mother's just like, I'm going upstairs, I can't deal. Like, they, they, you know, my our parents' generation never got told that they yeah. were loved. But now my my father with his grandkids is like, I love you, Granda. And I lo-, you know, he'll make a joke of it on the phone to me. He'd be like, love you too, boo hoo hoo But step. he's getting so it, that's much a step, better. isn't it? I mean, and my dad's in his 70s, so, you know. I always say it and he'll, he's gotten less, not jokey about it, but I just, I mean, it was never any question. My yeah. parents are amazing. They've been together. They've been married 50 years, been together like 55, 56 years. And they're just really good crack. And mm. I'm so lucky, particularly, you know, you see, I mean, obviously times are changing at home too, but you know, in America, it's all half siblings. It's all, mm-hmm. you know, a huge you know, rate of divorce, whereas I've, I'm one of seven and all my siblings are still married, yep. you know, some of them coming on 30 years. Um, you know, so it's a different kind of, uh, it's a different kind of attitude, but uh, I think times are changing at home. I, I was wondering when on, on the train this morning, I was like, I have to ask this question. I was like, I was like, how do I do this? Because it's, it's like Northern Irish, but do you think it's, 
Well, I'll start here. Like, do you find it strange or odd that you've given your life to kind of representing a place that you don't live in? You know what I mean? It's yeah. like like you spend your your literally your whole life. Well, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like well, you're you're, you're yeah, working you're working much life. Half my life. Yeah. yeah all my um, working life. You yeah. know, supporting Ireland and you know singing Ireland's praises, but you're like not there. Yeah. Like what's that's like a weird dichotomy. Well, it's isn't kind it? of funny. I think if I wasn't doing something Irish, I'd question if I would be here because it is such a touchstone for me to home. Yeah. That I might have just missed home too much and mm. the crack too much to actually be working in kind of just another a corporate, corporate job that yeah, yeah. I could be doing at home. Yeah. I'd just be home maybe doing that job with my family. But yeah, it's kind of interesting. And it's so funny, you know, um, my husband's from Cape Cod and uh, we go up there. His mom's in her 90th year. So we, you know, go up there once a month and she always has the Irish stuff cut out for us to go uh. see, which is really cute. But I'm like, I get it six, seven days a week. <laughs> I don't necessarily seek <laughs> I out need a break Irish from Ireland. <laughs> but exactly. I'm like, I'm not Irish this weekend. Um, I think it was actually more just the vision and the passion for the new building project. And yeah. th- that, you know, I'm always, my, my dad was, in construction and I remember my nephew was about five or six at the time and I'd been gone maybe 10 years and he was like is New York not finished yet you know you go to a job and you finish the job like he was on construction jobs took you know six months or a year and I think it really was about finishing the job yeah that uh, you know kept me here and just the very fact and you know it's so Irish American people fascinate me I mean so many of them know way more history and culture about culture and their you know encyclopedic knowledge so many of them speak irish i don't you know i have a few couple of huckle but that's about it <laughs> and like liam mainly was here last week and i was mortified because i was like you know but i mean irishness was difficult yeah you know i grew up in south down but you know during the troubles having really overtly irish names and you know we were elizabeth and pauline and jerry and you know very traditional yeah uh traditionally safe names yeah um which, you know, was, I would have loved to have learned Irish, particularly over here, because I have colleagues who speak it or, yeah. you know, a lot of artists coming through and, um, you know, it's always on the bucket list. Yeah, yeah. So but, that kind of bleeds into the question I was going. Do you feel like you're nor- you've lost or you do you find it difficult to hold on to your northern Irishness in the sea of Irishness, if that makes sense? Because I always think that um, being Northern Irish, it's like this funny thing because it's like, a, it's like, a no man's land it doesn't really it exists but it doesn't exist and then there's all the political madness and then you're sort of like because because i am like i'm a child of the good friday agreement and all that sort of stuff and i've grown up and even whenever people ask me i do say i'm northern irish like always even if people are like are you irish or british mate like you know da, 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 i'd be like i don't know i'm northern irish you know what i mean yeah. and i always i have such a strong affinity for Ireland as an island, but then specifically Northern Ireland as a place with all of our weak works and our situations and our, you know, mm. all this sort of stuff. So do you feel like um, the job you're in and what you're all doing, do you think like your Northern Irishness has sort of been like, I don't know, like diluted? Diluted, maybe, uh, yeah. No, I actually think it's probably double down. Double down, yeah. Nice. I mean, I love, like, I'd always say I'm from the North, I'm from our, our Northern Irish, and. Um, and you're clearly proud because anytime you mention anyone from the North, you just went, oh, yeah, great guy, great guy. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> love it. I love that. <laughs> you know, 
and it, good Armama, good Belfast man. I was like, yeah, yeah that's funny. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I love you know hearing an, an Ulster accent. You know, it yeah. really just lifts my spirit. I guess it's in my DNA too sure. as well. You know, we did do a Northern Irish kind of bent theme, Paul Muldoon night, and I was just like loving all the Nordic <laughs> accents and. Um, you know, I mentioned John and Gronya Duddy, good friends. So whenever, and of course, my husband can't understand a word I say oh, when I'm around all the, all the, the Nordies. When you pick up the phone, that's because when I was in America, my accent got really diluted. And then I would like Skype somebody and they'd be like, were you speaking Irish? And I'd be like, no, mate, I was speaking English. What the heck? <laughs> well, it happens here all the time in the office too. And then particularly if I get a couple of uh, the construction guys who run our golf tournament, then the swear words are coming out too as well. So they were, you were definitely talking to somebody Irish on the phone. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm really proud to be Northern Irish. Um, I think it's kind of a unique wee spot in the world. And um, I mean, it's kind of sometimes mortifying when you're like, oh, Jesus, the government. And will you please get your act together? Yeah, it's just yeah. embarrassing because, <clears throat> you know, when they're over trying to invest in I or, you know, trying to do Trojan work, getting companies to invest in Belfast and, um, and, and, and in the north. And you're just like, we should all be working together. Mm. I mean, that young journalist in Derry, I mean, I hope that there's good comes out mm -hmm. of the fact that everybody who put their foot down and said no mm -hmm. you're not welcome here yeah the, the violence is not welcome you're not talking for the people yeah. we've moved on and i mean that was just shocking to know that that could still happen yeah, and yeah. i think like i'm really really proud and, and roma Downey is also one of our patrons and she's amazing and she's a dairy girl and um, <laughs> she actually was at our gala a couple of years ago and she's been a huge supporter and she gave a shout out i think it was to thornhill girls which i'm not sure if that's the dairy girls it might it be. might be i think it is but um roma and you know there was a big whoop from the house <laughs> for thornhill girls this is pre-dairy girls this so is like funny, three like years ago and it's amazing, though, the county associations, though, yeah. like particularly even multi-generational, like we had a show just recently, the humors of Bandon, and we had people come from Kerry, no idea what the show was about, but just because Bandon, they wanted wanted to so be there funny. or they wanted to touch like that sense of connection mm. to something that their grandparents left and stuff is really phenomenal like the county association and also i say northern Irish because when i say down people go yeah where i've, I've never heard of that <laughs> county where is that and i have to go i have to spell it because yeah, 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 down yeah, yeah. people saying down yeah, just, yeah, yeah it becomes a word that nobody can understand yeah we were at the irish famine memorial yesterday by an accident and uh, we were just walking by the river and then I was like, oh wait, that's that like, it's like an Irish mountain thing. I didn't even, I forgot it was a famine thing. And then yeah. we went and I've got all the wee stones with all the counties on it. Yeah. And I, I couldn't help myself. I found myself, I was like, oh, where's Antrim? Where's yeah. Don? And I was like, oh my goodness, I've just got suckered in. Totally. I've, I've been, I know, I can tell you exactly where the Don stone is. But you know, and actually when we were talking about, we have a wee garden that's part of the, the project and Gabriel uh, Byrne has talked about, you know, he wants to get soil from all 32 counties and have it in the, you know, it really is a touchstone for so many people. And we're so lucky. I mean, for me, I'm part of the reason I can stay here is that I can FaceTime. Like Aye. I literally last Sunday couldn't get a word in edgeways. It was just like mental <laughs> in our house and people were coming and going. And, you know, the nieces and nephews and it was just crazy. It's like uh, compared to when I came over in 97, I had um, $80 after I'd paid my first month's rent and yeah. deposit and uh, hadn't got my job yet. And I had $80 and I spent $20 on a phone card that would get me six minutes. Ugh. 
What home. do you talk about? For, did, was it just your mum you called for the six minutes? Well, I'd usually phone the house, yeah, and it would be just like, oh, oh, Jesus, Jesus. And she'd be so panicked about everything <laughs> that she'd have to try and remember <laughs> that it literally was gone. <laughs> you know, and then occasionally, you know, she when she wanted to call, if she wanted to call me, she'd six take, minutes. She, she'd go to a payphone because she was just deathly afraid of what the bill Aye. would be and, you know, take her pound coins and yeah, go down yeah, yeah, to yeah. a payphone. And I mean, it was ridiculous then. Crazy. You know, it? now I've unlimited for my monthly yeah, plan yeah. of, for ten dollars or something, I can call mobiles, home phones. It's amazing, isn't it? You know, and that's been a big part, I think, of anybody moving away in this era. That it's just so accessible mm. to be in. I mean, in the kitchen, Daddy was doing a jigsaw, and, and yeah, you know, yeah. I was like, "How?" You know, and I, I'm I actually talked to my parents. I talked to my mum nearly every day. Yeah, I on my walk to work, I just make it a point of of calling. And if if my like my brother. A couple of you know who lives up the field could go you know two three weeks if i if my mother didn't hear from me in three days she'd be phoning my husband <laughs> to see if i was dead <laughs> you know so um you know it's so much easier to stay connected and yeah. i think then so much easier to be away yeah versus you know brooklyn social ronin movie where you know you, you just get on a boat and you're that's you see i can't it, imagine see that. in 30 years you know what i mean it's i can't mad. imagine that or see you never and that's why i think a lot of Irish people double down on their identity here. Mm. I mean, some of the, you know, older cultural centres are not the Irishness that you or I would know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, but, you know, they had to cling to what they knew. Mm -hmm. And um, th those are, you know, sadly, I mean, maybe not, there's not the same need for them mm -hmm. that there was, you know, 40 years ago. Yeah. The dances and, and what have you. But yeah. um, it was real. Like people weren't, weren't going back yeah. i met i interviewed a woman we did a whole project on the elderly irish and we took photographs and in, in in massachusetts and we did a whole project here in new york and then and in an exhibition by the fabulous photographer john minahan and then we did a um a project in massachusetts and this lovely lady and she'd been here i think 60 she was 104 and she hadn't gone home for 50 years. Oh, my goodness. And then she'd gone 38 times or something in the last... She <laughs> was like, in the last... You know, she was like, went all out. And she was like, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to go this year. And she's like 104. She's like, I think I'll go next year. Yeah. Like, okay. Legendary. Fair play. But it was really special. We had these black and white photographs. And it was her first... She'd lived in Massachusetts all her adults since she was 20. And um, she went to the Massachusetts State House, which she'd never been in to see her portrait hanging in the Massachusetts wow. State House, which was really, really moving. And she said, I, I just thought I'll never sleep a wink. She said, it was such an amazing <laughs> night. I was because I was interviewing her the next day and uh, such an amazing night. And uh, she said, then I slept like a log. And she was she was from uh, Waterford, I think. Unbelievable. She's probably not with us now. No, that was a good four or five years ago. Yeah. So maybe more. But um, actually, John Minahan, the photographer, and, you know, just talking about how art and sports can kind of cross the divide, which is, I think, really important. And one of the things that I love about, um, you know, one of our curators here for our poetry festival is Nick Lard, who's, um, you know, next to Northern Protestant and um, Maritain English, uh, Zadie Smith, the fabulous um, the writer. And, you know, we've sh swapped stories on, on, on Northern Irishness. Mm. And that's what I love about the Art Centre. It's like, it doesn't, you know, this is Irish culture for, and Northern Irish culture for people of all backgrounds, not just Irish people. Yeah, yeah. Northern Irish people, British people. Yeah. It's Irish culture for New Yorkers of all backgrounds.
backgrounds. Yeah. And that's the audience. You know, we have a huge Jewish contingent just because they're Jewish and Irish culture actually have a way a lot more similarities than we'd yeah. maybe know because we didn't have, you know, that many yeah. Jewish people. Um, yeah, I just found out there's up. like a synagogue in North Belfast two weeks ago. I was like, what? Yeah, there's a couple there's maybe, of really... Is it 80? I think the number I heard was 88 Jews in Northern Ireland. I don't know if that's even real. Yeah. No, it'd just be rumours. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a great guy you should actually talk to, Mark Goldstone. Goldstein. Who you know what? We're, at, we're, we're coming over again in Shouldn't June with Young Enterprise and we're having dinner with him. So yeah, he's a fabulous, good. fabulous guy and his wife's English and they're just a gorgeous couple. And he's fascinating stories about how his history and um, how he ended up being uh, uh, growing up Jewish in Belfast. Wow. He's a fascinating character. Gotta really, get him on, really actually. That would be guy. really good. Really lovely yeah. guy. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, that's... New York's just amazing like that. Yeah. The melting pot of... And people are so nice. Like, you know, I know it's a big, massive city. Mm-hmm. Eight million people. There's more people in Manhattan. I know. Li- sleeping in Manhattan. Four I mean, times. During the day, it's like 13 million people tra- commuting in and out to work, uh, apparently. But, um, you know, people generally leave you alone. But if you need help... They'll be so accommodating, Aye. you know, which is is just really lovely. It's good, it's, and it's is you kind of forget. I mean, especially if I've gone home for a couple of weeks and come back, you sort of just go like, oh, wow, you know, I forget sometimes, or sometimes I'll be on my phone and not paying attention, I'll end up walking through Times Square yeah. to get somewhere and be like, why did I come this way? Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, this was crazy, but like I, you know, try to avoid Times Square and yeah, the yeah. plague. But it is, I it still stops me in my Aye. tracks. Yeah. It's great. One of our stock questions we always ask is, um, we may have to modify for you, but maybe not. If you could take anyone from Northern Ireland out for a coffee or a pint, who would you take and why? See, when I ask this question to certain people, I'm always like, well, I kind of feel like this individual may have taken everyone that they want to from Northern (laughs) Ireland out for coffee. So uh, we'll just see if you have anyone. If not, we can maybe change it up well you know i can't anymore but i'd love to um have known seamus heaney better i've met him a few times but you know he's such a fascinating character but you know there are we have a lot of entertaining people on on the arts arch front paul muldoon is a panic and um (laughs) he's just great fun paul and um you know liam's actually liam neeson's quieter and yeah more gentle soul um the (laughs) the last time actually uh coffee it was like it was the day of our gala and liam had agreed to sign boxing gloves because we were auctioning them off with a fight with john a uh, training session with john he Dunning. used to box didn't he liam was a huge yeah. fan huge boxing fan actually he's i've he's gone to see john duddy training and it was the cutest <laughs> the sweetest thing wow. where we myself and liam and john's trainer john his last big fight and they wanted Liam to go to the fight and Liam couldn't go to the fight because he was going to be filming. But um, they said, well, look, would you give him a, it'd be a really big boost? Would you come by the gym before the fight? And uh, so we organized uh, it. So it was myself and Liam and the manager and the manager's kid and a friend. Nice. So sweet. Amazing. So I'm in the back with the two kids and Liam and, and um, Greg are in the front. And we get there and um, we pull up outside a Starbucks actually in Dumbo. So Liam gets out and he, he's waiting while I'm unbuckling the kids in the back seat. And we get out and one of the kids just goes, Holly, why are all those people staring at me? Holly. <laughs> and we turn around and it's a Starbucks window, all bleary eyed on a Saturday morning going, is that Liam Neeson? <laughs> is that Liam Neeson? So Liam puts on, just kind of looks and 
pulls out the baseball cap. Nice. It's hard to nice. hide if you're Liam Neeson. Sure. Anyway, we go to the gym and John is so focused. I mean, he's only a week or so out from his fight. Like he barely even breaks his concentration. He just comes up and goes, Liam, how are you? Good to see you. And, you know, and he's just sweating. But then the word kind of got out that Liam was just watching him train and just fascinating. And then the word kind of got out Liam was there. So we said, well, we better slip on out. And we got outside and Liam just went, oh, bollocks. I says, what's wrong? He said, he had took out his, he had a, he had a camera. He said, I wanted to film John training. <laughs> and I said, well, here, I'll go back in and get, and he yeah, said, no, yeah. no, no, you're grand, you're grand. But he was like, you know, he genuinely yeah, yeah, yeah. loves, loves the sport, Amazing. loves it. And actually back to John Minahan, the photographer, when we were, um, Actually, there's a picture of Liam in short trousers. I'll give you a copy. We did an exhibition called The Fighting you, you give Irishman. Me a copy? Of a book that Liam actually wrote an essay for <laughs> on nice. boxing. But we did a boxing exhibition in 2006, it was. And it was basically the history of Irish immigration to America through the greatest boxers of the time, who basically, like many young immigrants, are fighting. Like, once you get up the ladder, you don't really mm. necessarily. And it's obviously, it was a very important sport in Northern Ireland where it was taking young people off the streets mm-hmm. and giving them an opportunity to let out their aggression and their sure. fears in a, in, a, in a more constructive environment. Even now, like Sandy Roo Boxing Club doing class stuff. Yeah, massive, class stuff. massive. And, you know, um, when people first came to America, it was kind of like how they fought their way out of the boxing rings and into the boardrooms mm. and into positions of power in our in Irish America. So we did this exhibition and then um, part of that was the picture, this essay that Liam had done and picture of Liam with Freddie Gilroy, who was his absolute hero. He was, <laughs> he's like, I think he's like 12 or 13 in the picture with Freddie. So, you know, a lot of those guys that would have been boxing when Liam was growing up were starting to pass. And um, so the actual Belfast City Council wanted to do an exhibition that would really try and bring the communities together. Because obviously City Hall was very much seen as belonging to one part of the community sure. and not the other. And, um, you know, boxing very much was always about yeah, it didn't yeah, yeah. matter. So here's Barry McGuigan with, you know, he actually, Barry got, was, you know, telling stories that he got in trouble for going across Aye. to fight in Protestant boxing yeah, clubs yeah. and vice versa. So, um, we, they asked, uh, Liam to go over to Belfast to recreate that photograph with Freddie Gilroy. So we actually got John Minahan. The, I, I know John, he's a friend and, um, John came up from Cork and we actually, I went with him. We haven't actually done anything. We need to do something <laughs> with the pictures, but we went around Belfast and took pictures of all the, you know, elderly Irish boxers That's telling real, their stories with, word. with the, um, with their Olympic medals or whatever. And Liam came to Class. a reception in Belfast City Hall Brilliant. with all these older Irish, uh, boxers. So he's absolutely totally fanatical about, um, about boxing, but, uh, if I could, so I don't know. That's um, that was a long question, a long answer <laughs> to um, most I people just say, I Van Marsh, and he's dead on. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, I have to give Kieran Hines, though. Kieran Hines is another northern star, great, real northern and gentle soul. I mean, he's obviously in Terry George's The Shore, and again, one of. He used to come in and how I met Kieran was when I was waitressing in O'Flaherty's. It was a real actor's hangout and wow. an actor's bar. And actually, before I met Liam through the art center, I'd actually met him at O'Flaherty's just very briefly. Amazing. But, um, um, and Philip Seymour Hoffman used to drink in there. It was just the most fun place. But Kieran, I have to say, just one of the nicest men you'd ever meet. Aye. He knew every busboy's name, Class. like Liam, and we would treat you, whether you're a king or a pauper, you get the same. He doesn't suffer fools, 
but king or pauper kieran hines will know your name and just one of the most genuine people out there brilliant you know, so I haven't seen him in a while, so that's why I've said <laughs> That's great. He's been, that's great. He hasn't been on stage. He does a lot of work in New York on, on cool. stage. Uh, three more questions. All of them stock questions we ask okay. every guest. These are just wee things I find interesting. First one is, these are hard, by the way. Buckle up. The first one is, what is or what was the most successful moment of your life? Or a time where you, you can look back on and, and say, like, I felt really successful? Well, I think today standing you know at the Irish Arts Centre where we're you know we've broken ground on the New York Centre it's been hard it's been a long road there's been ups there's been downs I was thinking earlier when you're saying you're responsible for raising money I was like you must be all right at your job if you've raised 60 million over the years well that was a big that was just um, I mean that was just for the capital project the money that I raise is generally our day-to-day operation which is about two two three million a year um so the galas can feel like the most successful moments like where you're you know our galas are usually about 600 people and wow. you know it's we ha- usually have liam and gabriel there and people are having a good time and it's that can feel like the most successful but i have to say like coming out of the theater some night where you've got a young like that seamus performance where people where he was just wide-eyed and bushy-tailed and being like was that all right? Yeah. Like, that was amazing. <laughs> so it's kind of probably swings between the, the two. The galas would seem like the bigger moments. Yeah. But there's a lot of hard work and a lot of stress and you're kind of almost, the success of it is it's, uh, that it's over <laughs> and having hit, hit the targets. Yeah. But I think just being in that theater and experiencing something that's going to lift your soul is probably, it's cool. you know. Brilliant. The twin of that of that question is, Tell us about the most or a challenging moment in your life and how you were able to overcome that. Um, I think just being in an art center and, you know, after the recession here in um, after September 11th, actually, was probably one of the hardest times. The first year was fine because there was a lot of people were piling money into New York. Mm. But then the second year when the Iraq war started and um, the economy kind of went a different way and brought and people were afraid to come to New York because they were afraid of any retaliations. Yeah. So the theaters just dried up and we went, that was probably the hardest time we went from maybe raising our earning in our box office. I think, you know, a couple of hundred thousand to, to earning like a quarter of that. Wow. And basically finding ourselves in huge hot water. And that was probably the scariest time but we you know we just had to you know we had to economize and we had to let staff go and we had to you know we we thankfully one of our board members stepped up and gave us you know an interim loan and we got through it um and came out the other side of it but that was probably hardest like having to let somebody go who's just given their heart and soul but you just can't afford yeah yeah you know but you know you learn a lot of valuable lessons and hard to to in like 2008 when the economy took a downturn here too as well but you know, you know, just getting good people around you. That's the hardest. Letting letting someone go is yeah. always the hardest. Mad. Final Hopefully question. We're growing and, and adding. I know you're sets. booming now. <laughs> it's great. The final question, really simply, if you could take uh, your 24-year-old self out for a pint in Flaherty's and you had a couple of minutes of her time, what advice would you give her? I think just to be yourself and be authentic and... Um, you know, if we worried a lot less what people, you know, people are, everyone's always so busy thinking about their own lives and worrying about their own lives that, they, you know, if you find, knew how little people thought about you or talked about you, you'd worry a lot less what they think. <laughs> 
Like they really don't have time to be thinking about yeah. you. And we hold ourselves back, I think, so much worrying. Um, so I think just be honest and be true. I'm so grateful to my mom and dad. Like my father can't tell a lie, which is a good thing and sometimes a bad thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> Daddy, can you rein that in? <laughs> Seriously? And my, actually, you know what? I've just realized my husband is exactly the same. Oh, really? I've just clicked, which, um, you know, just being true to yourself is, you know, it, I, I've been so lucky to have gotten that foundation. And I think just being true to your word and your commitment to yourself is huge. And, you know, keeping your word to yourself and keeping your word to other people. Mm. Um, uh, I think that's probably the most, the most important thing. Brilliant. Pauline, thank you very, very much for your You're time. Welcome. I appreciate it. I've so enjoyed having a Nordic accent here in, uh, <laughs> in my wee office in New Class. York. It's and all the best with the building project. Can't wait to see whenever it's done. Yeah, me too. Do you have a year timeline on that? Yeah, so the, the, the project construction should be finished in about 12 months' time. So that's um, going to be May, June of uh, 2020. And then, you know, our hope is to get in, maybe if there's a delay or whatever, but to get in July, August um september to you know get all the fixing furnitures in and um get rehearsing and open in um as they say the fall class open in the autumn of 2020 so looking at september october of, of next year which is around the corner <laughs> well unreal thank you very much you're very welcome it's been great unbelievable stuff Guys, thank you very much for listening. Really, really appreciate you. Pauline, thank you very much for taking your time out. Really, really enjoyed meeting you and really, really loved hearing your story. Thank you very much for coming on the show. And all the best with the new Irish Arts Centre. It looks unbelievable. Can't wait to get over and see it whenever it's ready. If it's your first time listening, we have done, like I said at the start of the interview, over 50 of these now. You can go and check out our back catalogue to see who else we've interviewed so far at bestabelfast.org. If you have been listening to the show for a while and you would like to show some love, best way to do that is to leave us a wee review on apple podcasts if that's where you listen you can also sign up to our producers club get invited to the upcoming live podcast on 31st of may with andrew trimble and get access to a whole bunch of different kind of perks and benefits and you know just support the show financially help us keep going and help us on our journey to 100 interviews got some more class new york podcasts to share with you over the next few weeks and a couple more wee things up the sleeve just to keep us all on our toes. That's it for me for now. My name's Matthew Thompson. You're listening to Bass the Belfast. And until next week, next Monday, all the very best. Thanks very much. Hi, everyone. I'm Claire Dodge, GM of Ormo Baths, a tech hub and co-working facility based in the historic Victorian bathhouse in the heart of Belfast city centre. Back in the good old days, Best of Belfast was my commute entertainment. Listening to the inspiring stories of Northern Irish people following their dreams and making magic happen was a great start or end to my day. Now that I've been working from home, I've kept up the same routine and it's a great way for me to continue to brighten my days. My favourite episode, well, it has to be from one of our dear members of our Omabaz community, Mr. Mark Todd. It was really inspiring and it just made me feel very peaceful at rest and happy knowing that there's excellent people doing excellent things within Northern Ireland. It is our delight and our pleasure to have Best of Belfast based out of the Armo Baths and we're excited about what's coming next. So if you've been on the fence about joining the Producers Club and would miss Best of Belfast if it wasn't here, I'd highly recommend you joining today. 
Pop on over to bestofbelfast.org and I look forward to seeing you in our WhatsApp group very soon.